Welcome to the Humanise the Numbers podcast series. Leaders, managers and owners of ambitious accounting firms sharing insights, successes and issues that will challenge you and connect you and your firm to the ways and means of transforming your firm's results. So what one aspect of that drives you nuts the most? Um, problems, not solutions, I think is probably the key. Is probably, and, and I think people tend to do that when it's very busy, very stressful. Just people inundate their line managers or supervisors or seniors with this isn't working, this isn't working. And without going, oh, hang on, why isn't it working? What do I need? How can I solve it? Um, which is which is which the person can always solve it much better than I can. How do you reorganize a team of 50 accounts production people so that they become more focused, build knowledge and skill in a faster, better way and feel a greater sense of connectedness across the team? Well, this podcast discussion with Jason Appel of BKL a large North London firm. Jason shares insights on the culture of their firm and how they've reorganised this large team of 50 into a set of pods and how that's impacted positively across the firm. Let's go to that discussion with Jason now. Hi Paul, um, I'm, a, well, I'm Jason Appel. Um, I'm a partner at uh, BKL Accountancy Practice based in, um, based in North London. We have a firm of uh, 140 odd people, 15 partners. Um, I've been with BKL since 2002, qualified here. Um, I did have a brief sojourn to another practice for six months, which was uh, unsuccessful. Um, and they, they obviously begged me to come back, so I, I came back. <laughs> I came back um, after after a six month uh, outing. Which was which was very interesting in itself, and just highlighted different ways that different firms work. Oh, so well, we might we might, kind of we gave might me a very good insight actually, into Jason. different things. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, I became a partner in 2015. Um, moved away from audit as rapidly as I could. Um, right. um, I look after the um, accounts team compliance function within the which we're known as the advanced business services team. Um, 50 people in the team, um, as well as having a, um, a portfolio of clients, mostly in and around you know, property development, student accommodation, um, which I, who I enjoy looking after. Yeah. Um, and in my uh, and in my free time, I have a um, I live in also live about 15 minutes from the office, which is a fantastic place to be because uh, I'm not a big fan of commuting. Uh, I have a, a wife and, and and three children. One well, yeah. Nearly not a child anymore, 17 and going to be yeah, starting yeah. to learn to drive. Uh, my daughter and two boys, 14 and 10, who um, add very much colour to um, my life in the evenings at weekends. Uh, indeed. So it, I, I find it interesting that a parent says, in my spare time, but they've got yeah, three no, children. I'm not sure that correlates really, does it? <laughs> no, indeed. <laughs> indeed, yeah. Uh, very good. So uh, to begin with, let's just look at that sojourn. Yeah. From BKL out. Where, at what point in your, your time from 2002 okay. did that, that, that take place and what prompted it? So I qualified in 2005 and I was really interested in the time at corporate, in corporate finance and I was within a team um, that very much focused on um, audit and accounts. Um, we didn't really have um, an offering for someone else to work within the corporate finance team here. We do have a corporate finance partner but there wasn't much work outside of what was available. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went and left to another firm who hired in 2007, um, in the summer there, who hired three people at the same time to bolster their very much flourishing corporate finance department. And I think we all arrived on the day that the bottom fell out of the corporate finance market. Right. Um, and we sat there for 
three, four months with literally nothing to do before I then started reviewing audit files again. Um, right. the, 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 the atmosphere uh, at, the play, at, at, at the firm was very different to where, what I was used to. Yeah, right. It wasn't as warm, it wasn't as friendly, it wasn't as um, accommodating. Um, and I, I realised that I wasn't going to get another job in corporate finance very easily soon anyway. Yeah. So if I'm going to carry on doing what I wanted to do, what, 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 what I'd been doing, I should do it at a place that I enjoyed and felt comfortable with. So um, I spoke again with the with the managing partner, and we had a discussion about coming back. And it wasn't a difficult decision in the end. All right, what for you um, or for them? For both, I hope. Right. I mean, apparently the, apparently the email went out to everyone's amusement that the prodigal son returns, and I have oh, really? no idea. That was nothing to do with me. I think it was a bit of a joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone brilliant. did giggle about it. But um, so I did work in corporate finance for for a while when I came back, which was a brilliant experience actually. Um, but I soon had to choose, and it, would, it became clear that I was going to um, move more towards sort of sort of client relationships and business advisory, which is uh, where I've ended up. Which yeah, is, brilliant. Uh, which is good. Brilliant. But it's interesting, isn't it, that um, there's the, people move for a, a, a different role or, or you know, yep. career enhancement, but actually the cultural environment in which you work has a more profound impact on the quality of your work experience than, than, than maybe the, uh, the work you're doing and therefore is more important. Would, oh, would absolutely. You, people you subscribe to that, Ian? Uh, 100%. Um, people who work here and have been here a long time have always said it's the people here that have kept them here for a very long time. And even when people have left, um, they always speak very highly and kindly of the environment and atmosphere we've uh, tried to create here. Um, and that's to do with the senior partners who are still here that, you know, when I joined, and that hopefully is filtered down to us, who are the, you know, the partners taking the firm forward in the future. So, so when you're in, say, board meetings, how, how big a part is this, like, let's, let's nurture and care for the cultural environment that we've created in the firm? How does that show up in those meetings? So certainly um, I'm part of the executive team now as well, and that's very much a focus of, of, uh, of what we want. We want to attract and develop and retain talented people, and the best way of doing that is to make sure the environment is right for people to work here as well. Right. Uh, uh, wholeheartedly agree with that. So, what sort of things actually happen then to nurture okay. that that human environment that is caring and culturally? Use the, you use the word warm, which I think is really neat. Yeah, um, I think it's about talking to people and making sure there's as much contact and communication between people and um, teams. Um, um, open door policies, making sure people are heard, making sure people feel like they're heard, uh, and even when they are hard, then they can feel like the um, suggestions and, uh, and things they're talking about do have an impact on the decisions that are then made. Um, for instance, with our values that we've just, um, our new values that we've released this year, um, we invited the whole firm to get involved in trying to create those. Oh, really? Um, so, as well as having, yeah, and build on what the executive and the partners felt were the values as well to make sure that we brought everybody's views into that. Um, and I think that was really, really valuable for everybody. Uh, right. Everybody involved. So, so the executive team worked out what values you wanted and then, forgive my language here, but then uh, inflicted them on the team or persuaded the team to buy no, into absolutely not. How did you so, run that engagement process? So we had, we had a, the executive team had a meeting to discuss what we thought were the right values were. Um, and then um, before we released any of that to the, to, to the business as a whole, we went through a whole process of um, the team creating what they thought the values were. And the most important things to them, and we incorporated those into the into the final uh, final values that we released 
um, for the whole business. So we and, hope that everybody. And how many are there, Jason? Five. Five. And and can you reel them off without looking at your paper? <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. Or is it all right? <laughs> so I think these are the final ones. We've got think big, right? Take pride, do the right thing, enjoy it, and in it together. Which are on your website, which I thought was uh, I thought was really neat. So you got the five, brilliant, well done. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> See? yeah it's it's uh, it, it's awkward if when you're on camera as well as being uh, well, you know, having a conversation. <laughs> um, so, why why do you think? Um, well, no, no I'll, ask, I'll ask a better question. Uh, lo- lots of firms and lots of businesses, for that matter, think that this yeah, let's establish a, a set of values and stick them on the website and put a post up in the office is is a bit in that corporate BS place, if yep. I can be relatively brutal or, but without swearing. Um, how, how are you managing that, this, so that it's not just a, you know, yep. corporate strategy, you know, pandering to what the, you know, big businesses do and it sort of looks the right thing. What, you know, what, what, what's different with, uh, with at, at BKL around that? So we, we, we've, we're te- we've taken those values and we have then used them um, to, help formulate our, our strategy going forward as well right. I know you're going to say well you can all very well have a strategy but you know how do you uh, so we try to make sure that we incorporate all of those uh, into the strategic objectives um, which we are um, which we are trying to involve everybody in delivering so it's not just the, you know the executive or the partners who, are, who um, have to deliver those strategic objectives it's for the whole team too so um, right. trying to involve everybody in the decisions that are, are made and the um, and the actions that we take uh, to deliver those. Um, and keep talking about them. It's not just a question of having them there on a wall mm. um, in a poster with strap mm. lines everywhere. It's to keep talking about them and making sure with decisions that we make that we refer back to the values and the objectives to make sure that we're keeping in line with those, um, which we can keep challenging ourselves with as we move forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, so values drive decisions and therefore actions across... Yeah, across which is important, we, you know, with recruitment, if we're bringing in senior people or whoever we bring in, um, we've learnt as well from things in the past where um, if people don't quite fit into the values of the business that you're working in, that it just doesn't work. If you if you truly believe in the, the values that you've set forward, you need people to come in who believe in that. Otherwise, it the match just, you know, they, it won't last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so how how do you how do you uh, what sort of questions do you ask in interviews then that establish whether they've got a values match or not? Um, I, sp- I, I have to say, I think even with interviews, it's really, really difficult. It's hard. Yeah. Um, I think some of the things where um, where it's rather than the interviews to find out where they fit, it's where you can easily see that they don't. Mm. Um, and we've thought we could we could try and make it work um, mm. where it hasn't. Mm. Um, but I think we've listen. We we speak to other partners at other practices and other people, and you can see the dark kind of direction of travel um, with with accountancy firms at the moment, which is a lot about the people and technology. And you can you can see if people are bought into the investment in the future and not mm. just the investment in themselves. That that should um, I think historically some um, some practices in the past it's been very much about the the, the you know the top people and the partners. Um, and that's, I don't think that works anymore at all. You have to reinvest. There's so much to, to get out of the people um, in the business that you have mm. to be seen. So uh, why, why don't you think it works anymore, Jason? Um, I think what we see now, sometimes you see lots of 
practices that have very senior people in it and there hasn't been much reinvestment in um, their practice and they have nowhere to go. <clears throat> their, only, their only answer is an exit somewhere and sometimes that's not you know, wholly fruitful for the people that are working. Yeah. Um, and we're really focused on um, trying to create a, a practice that is there for the, the people coming through to take forward as well. So it, it sounds as though um, mm. you're building continuity. That, that's, you've got to focus on continuity in the long term, which is yeah. what you'd assume if you've got a half-decent strategy. Um, but what, what does the firm do which demonstrates that it takes an in, the investment in people skills, the relationship skills, as important as the technical skills and the technology? Lots of firms are investing heavily in technology and the technical skills associated with that and the technical mm. skills associated with audit and so on. But it's, isn't it the investment in the... Uh, relationship skills, if you yeah. will, that actually di- differentiates and determines the future success of the firm. I'm yeah. just wondering what BKL are doing in that space to show that actually we're not just talking about people development, the relationship skill development, the stuff's actually going on. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we have to think back a while because the last 18 months have been a, a, bit, a little bit of a strange period of time. But we um, we, we put on we were putting on lots of lots of workshops with um, role playing. Um, companies to put right. all of the staff into positions and difficult difficult conversations how right. do you deal with clients how um how do you how do you build relationships with clients um we're using things such as the the, the gap portal to try and help when you go into a meeting how do you um, set out the stall of what you want to get out of the meeting what the client wants to get out of the meeting um, yeah. it's not just about delivering a set of figures it's about talking to the client about um, what they what they really need and what it really means. So we're trying to instill those skills into our staff members as well as the technical skills. Brilliant. So uh, role play based workshops around challenging conversations with clients. Yeah, I found those really interesting actually because historically, you know, we've kind of done some of these role playing things where you put people in a really awkward situation and they don't. No one likes acting in front of a hundred people. Sure. Um, so the way the company that we've used actually role play themselves and then you get to pull apart the things that they're doing and we found that really really beneficial actually um, right it takes the awkwardness out of the uh the situation and you can really learn from um, someone hamming, hamming it up a bit and making it a little bit more exaggerated than it really is but you yeah, can yeah yeah see yeah. how a situation may play itself out oh right so actually not your team in the role play the actual the, the, the organisation use in the role play, and then yeah. you're analysing and, and, and picking the um, yeah. the issues really out and the problems. Yeah. D- does it does it result though in your team then dropping into role plays, or do then they have to then um, use what they've the knowledge they've learned as yeah. opposed to the skill? Because that's a knowledge acquisition process, isn't it? As opposed yeah, to yeah, so skill we have encouraged people to do the role plays in front of everybody, but maybe in smaller groups as well. So it's not right. quite as uh, intimidating. Uh, it is, and then you go. Well, and let's put, let's do it on camera as well. That can be even oh, more intimidating. <laughs> let's break down exactly how awkward you felt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that was that was my, uh, my my first role after college was uh, into a, a sales role in a recruitment company, as it happens. And literally the first Friday of the first week, I went into this training session. Oh, this will be good, and it was role play on camera, and it wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> it was atrocious. Um, I still have nightmares about it now. Uh, although it did work in terms of you know enhancing skill, that, that's uh, that, that, that's brilliant. Closing, so when closing, I um, closing, surely. say again, Jason, closing, closing the sale for you guys. Well, yes, um, uh, there's. Uh, I think we've moved on a little bit, although that's still part of the uh, yeah. part of the piece. Um, when uh, when I go on the uh, BKL 
website at the moment, the, um, the headline on uh, the homepage is Relationships That Shape Success. Mm-hmm. And I would just thought, oh, that's, a, that's a really interesting um, statement. And I wondered if you'd expand on that and just let us know how that actually um, uh, shows up across BKL. Um, so I think we're always looking to try and make um, our own internal relationships um, better and the way we deal with things better. Um, with the, sort of, as I say, the technology that we use and the, um, the way we deal with each other. Um, and hopefully that feeds into um, the way that we deal with our clients as well. Um, again, um, creating the right conversations or trying to create the right time for the conversations in order so that you can really help your clients rather than just deliver some figures um, yeah. at the end of uh, nine months, hopefully before nine months after the end of the year, which are completely retrospective. So yeah, um, it's the whole idea of being more consultative, more advisory, um, and less about just delivering numbers, I, believe, I think. Uh, yeah, well, we're, we're definitely on the same hymn sheet with that, but a very few firms succeed at doing that, Jason. Yeah, and it's, I, I, I think it is a struggle um, in accountancy firms because accountants are typically people who like to get their head down and deal with numbers. Yeah. Um, so the challenge is to find people who are um, willing or able to, to get in front of people um, and teach the skills in order to, in order to do that. Mm. Um, so one of our, that's one of our main focuses at the moment, or one of my main focuses in the team, um, is to really encourage the uh, picking up the phone rather than hiding behind emails. Um, send, pick, up the, pick up the phone, tell the client what's happening. Mm. And if there's a delay to something, pick up the phone, tell the client what's happening. Um, those those customer service touch points um, mm. are what really make a difference between. I think will make a huge difference between um, just a firm that delivers figures and someone who's really trying to um, have a relationship with their clients. Um, so that's one of my my main focuses at the minute. Is it? So yeah. uh, so what are you doing then? To what? what now let's uh, ask a better question. Uh, what have you done that's actually worked best at encouraging your team of fifty to pick up the phone first and email second? Yeah, so it's it's uh, at the moment it's still a lot about conversations and encouragement in order to do so. Internal um, conversations. Internal conversations. Yeah, I, right I, I think that if you um, allow people to to show for themselves that these things can work, um, rather than enforcing it, then that's always the best way of, of, of these thing, things happening. So at the moment we're still at the stage of um, encouraging people to pick up the phone at, at these at these certain points. Right. Um, and, and see that work for themselves. Right. <clears throat> we talk about technology and we talk about being able to track whether people do actually and, and pick up the phone and do that. And so we are we are looking at systems such as Carbon, which is a, an account, yep. a, you know, work plan management system, which um, you can then really try and uh, monitor um, whether this is really happening. And we're not quite yet there yet with the ability to monitor and still relying very much on, on, on you know, on, on encouragement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just um, I, I talk uh, on stage whenever I get the chance is, uh, about how to install the habits that will support the, the, the future right. success of the firm. Yeah, and um, because we're all predisposed, the way our brains are wired. When you look at the neurosciences, yeah. we're, we're do you what the wired. file said last year. Yeah, exactly. Say again. You do what the file did last year because that's Correct. the way you do it. Yeah. So there's the so, but that's that's the tool. So one, yep. one of the one of the parts of the science of habit is is if you've got the right tool, it yep. can when you change the tool, it can start influencing the installation of a new habit. Um, 
the um, uh, and, and the file, last year's file, is, is one of those tools. Uh, I find it interesting that uh, one of the firms we work with have, have as when you metaphorically open the file, yeah. the actual um, process for getting going, that, that's the opportunity to influence that. So actually the first page, which is the, you know, the job briefing piece when starting, if yeah. you can go, right, do this first, do this second, do this third, and, and all of a sudden that acts as the trigger for the behaviour change. And the installation of, of decent new habits revolves around the installation of the trigger that prompts the behaviour. Yeah. So we can encourage the behaviour, but unless we change the triggers, yeah. they'll all revert back to doing what they've always done. Yeah. No, well, not all of them, because of, yeah. across your team of 50, you're encouraging them all, and probably five of them are actually all over it. Yeah, that's right. Maybe more, I don't know. Um, and there's five of them are absolutely, there's no way I'm doing that. I might tell you I am, but I'm not going to, because the, you know there's that standard deviation curve around chain. Um, so I just wonder, what, what have you done? And, and that's, sorry, the carbon bit presents an opportunity to, to influence right. the trigger that then drives or prompts, cues the next behaviour. Um, yeah. I've I spoken to um, a couple of, uh, of, of people who have tried influencing change by, it sounds a bit... You know, going backwards where you have to actually report on things that aren't happening in order so that you can try and make them happen. And then after a while, that report gets lower and fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer until everybody's actually doing it. You have no need for the report anymore. Yes. Um, which is, yeah, I think where we're going to try and, where we're trying to, trying to get to. And, 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 and actually, if you think of um, how do you, and I know you, you coach rugby, as, as I have, is how do you change the behaviour of the team by changing the scoring system? Okay. And so, because oh, this is actually changing the scoring system can it influence people's, because um, that in itself acts as a trigger. Yeah, Listen, and, we've talked about you know, a little bit of competition, a little bit of comparison. Absolutely. Um, and those type of things are always very good to encourage people to, to make small, more small changes and differences. Absolutely, as so long as they're not seen as a stick to beat people. That's the, uh, yeah, that's right. that's the nuance, isn't it, that we, we've got to, got to work on. Um, so that um, installing habits is change the tools, that prompt different triggers, including a scoreboard, yep. that can then drive the uh, drive the habit. Um, so we get we're getting there with the ability to be able to monitor things like that. Um, and it's and interesting. I was with this firm that I was with uh, yesterday. They're they're just installing um, uh, a CRM system, spending yep. an absolute arm and a leg installing the CRM system yeah. to ensure that everyone takes as seriously the relationship management as they do the actual get the work done. Yeah, and so we had a good view yesterday about how, how we are um, monitoring our client care. Mm. Lots of, you never want to get to the point where, you know, the client's got such a big issue that they leave. Why do they leave? And when they do leave, um, you may not know the real reason. So we need to monitor those things all the way along. Um, and uh, we are installing a, a new CRM system in right. order to record um, client conversations and discussions right. in order to try and monitor it. Right. Um, and also maybe finding ways to have that annual conversation with finding the best way possible to say, look, how did we do really? And mm. have we got time? And find the mm. clients who want to talk to us about it so we can pick up on what we can make things better. Um, but yes, we need the, the, the ability to um, monitor and, and note down those conversations um, using the CRM system, which, we, again, yeah, we're, we're looking at as well. Oh, yeah, right, OK. Have you, have you got anywhere with sort of uh, establishing clear expectations or goals for the number of touch points per client, Jason? Have you done anything with that? I haven't, no. So I don't think I've established the exact number of touch points. In my head, 
um, I've, I've kind of got a feeling about where I'd like to like it to get to, but um, how right. that manifests itself um, um, in, the, in the final iteration, I'm not sure. But it's right. um, as far as finding reasons, you need to find the reason to, to touch the client, um, and those needs, you know, so you're not just phoning up and uh, saying for the oh, sake of phoning up, yeah, and, and the client feels um, as though you're wasting the time if you're just doing that. There's got to be some relevance and value in that conversation, isn't there? Yeah, and I think there's been a habit over the last few years of. You know, all information or information going to clients is going by email, whether it's a, a bit of marketing, whether it's a bit of tax legislation, legislation that's changed. Um, and it's very easy to do, and then you can do it and feel like, oh, oh, you know, take a breath. Everybody knows about it now, which I'm not sure is exactly the case. So it's, again, stepping in, who should we be calling about this, make sure we t- you know, touch the right clients, make sure we are um, filling the, 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 uh, the clients in with the right information. Um, mm. But those are, those are good points. Those are good times to speak to a client and pick up the phone um, yeah. and that's where you get this continual customer relationship I had a I've been talking about this in, in lots of our conversations here for the last couple of months I had a really good car mechanic experience right um, so I think historically I haven't had very many good car mechanic experiences right. you kind of send your car in um, and then at some point someone will phone you up and give the you know the big suck in that goes oh you know hang on a minute it's not quite as easy as I thought so uh um, it's gonna, we're going to need it for, and it's going to cost this, this much more. Um, but the mechanic actually phoned me, you know, the day before they're picking up my car, they phoned me to say they've got my car, they phoned me to say they've done an assessment of it, exactly what needed to be done, when they were going to call me again to tell me if there were any problems, and then when it finished to say that it was all done. And I had maybe five phone calls over the period of two weeks, which sounds like a lot, but each were for, a, you know, less than 30 seconds or a minute. But I knew exactly what was going on. There was no black hole. Yeah. I knew exactly what the process was. I knew exactly what the outcome was going to be all the way through it. Um, we recently took on a new client um, where there was about six... We received all the accounts information. Um, we had a meeting six weeks later, which is a, a very, very reasonable amount of time in order to turn around the number of uh, accounts um, files that we did. Um, and we said to the, you know, the guys at the end of it, well, how was that, you know... You know, we're new to you how was it and they said well you know what you turned it around very quickly but we, we didn't know anything that was going on from that point that you started to the point that you finished yeah. so what would have been good even at the end of each week or at the end of every two weeks just to phone us up and say you know everything's fine I'm going to be sending you some queries on this one and this one mm. um, or do you want them all in one go at the end um, mm. and then at least then we would have there would have been no black hole we would have known exactly where we are but there was no issue with what had been done really yeah. But just increasing the, that correspondence would have made the whole thing even better. Yes. Um, so I learned from very close together both of those experiences. And so that's kind of where we want to so you, so push you, towards. Using that story a lot with your team then at the moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, brilliant. yeah. brilliant. So what, um, uh, there's, there's something in there which stands out for me. Um, and it's, yes, it's the touch points, but what your mechanic seems to have done very well was actually map out the pathway. Yeah. That's right. The future points of contact, yeah. so that it wasn't a surprise when actually another call came in. Yeah, and it's that, and it, and it's what's, um, and and I've come across this with, uh, you know, how do you ensure you um, keep really good people in your firm? I.e., they yeah. don't they don't go off to another corporate finance firm, so that's um, yeah. or wherever they go. Um, well, if you can map out um, eighteen months, twenty four months, or beyond, which yeah. is approximately forecasting where they're going and the pathway they're on the chances are you'll increase the level of uh, certainty that they'll stay with your firm yep 
And if you do the same with clients, therefore it follows, doesn't it, that you'll also increase the certainty and confidence of them staying with you because they can see what's about to happen. Yeah, absolutely and agree. It's, you know, it's when pathway you receive, management. Receive the records, a phone call to say, we plan to start on this date. It might not be as soon as you like. If you want it done sooner, let us know we'll start, we can, and we can try and arrange something. Otherwise, these are the dates that we'll next be in contact. And I think Indeed. I absolutely yeah. agree. Yeah, and um, it's uh, so. It's I, I just think there's a magic in that word pathway. You know, how clear is the pathway for every client, prospect, onboarding, long-standing client doesn't matter. And if you haven't got clarity around that pathway, which is where CRMs can make and help, you know, yeah. internally communicate that, so that when someone's on a the phone, they can tell you right the next date is. Yeah, and it's creating a, a language habit. So it, it may be that you investigate this Jason if you haven't already and then you can tell me if you have but it's what language habits do you install and and one of the strongest in terms of leading and managing change is like the next step is yeah so what you want to be able to hear across your whole team of 50 is the next step is when they're on the phone yeah. to a client so we deal with what we've got to deal with and then the next step is yeah and then all of a sudden you're embedding that pathway culture listen for exactly and for us as well you know we, there's a and for all accountancy firms that we've, or most accountancy firms you speak to, it's the getting to the end of the job and realizing you've there's been the scope creep in there, um, because you just get on with the work, you have your head down, you get on with the work, and you deliver at the end. But if if you if there's a touch point in the middle where you can say, well, you know, actually, what we agreed was, and this isn't quite right, then again, you don't have to have the discussion later on. You can mm. deal with it, um, mm. you know, while the process is going ahead, mm. um, which. It's just it's just good for client relationships all the way through. It is, and if it either reduces the scope creep or you get paid for the scope creep, it, yep, there's, there's those financial uh, wins as well, isn't there? Yeah. So, so leading and managing a team of fifty people, then Jason, what what uh, what one aspect of that drives you nuts the most? Um, problems, not solutions. I think is probably the key. Is probably, and, and I think people tend to do that when it's very busy, very stressful. Just people inundate their line managers or supervisors or seniors with this isn't working this isn't working and without going oh hang on why isn't it working what do i need how can i solve it um which is which is which the person can always solve it much better than i can yes um because they they will know the intricacies of it so let's just step back and think about it so that's the frustrating part we've done a lot of work with the, the team over the last 18 months um so we used to have just one big accounts team um, where resources were shared across everybody, and it was it was very a bit, bit of a struggle to um, sometimes um, keep everybody happy and, and, and resourced in the right place. So we've broken the team down into a number of, of smaller pods now, um, so allowing like the pod manager to have responsibility for a, um, a, a group of people, from you know accounts production all the way through to bookkeeping and VAT, um, um, which allows their resourcing requirements to be much more visible for them. It's more transparent. Yeah. More transparent for them. Yeah, and they yeah, can yeah. have much more focus on the people within their pod to enable them to and train them up and give them the right sort of experience, much more mm. focus. Mm. One of the um, challenges was to um, you know, train the junior members of staff in the right way and changing across um, seniors and supervisors. They didn't feel they were getting that really focused experience. So this is proving to be really valuable for the for the junior members who have got one person to give them feedback they can yeah. then follow on on the feedback and um, um and that enables also the managers to, to to manage their um their team uh, in a much more focused way um 
so they are able to um, deal a lot more um, on a granular basis with their problems and issues as they come up, which has really helped, actually. Right. It doesn't mean we still don't get problems and issues. Problem. We yeah, ask yeah, them more and more to, if you can focus on what's going on in your team. Um, that's really helped. But as I say, the frustration is, is problems, not solutions most of the time. Yeah, yeah. So how, how many people in the pods, Jason? Um, five or six, I think, in oh, each right, one. Okay. Uh, maybe a bit more. Maybe six, yeah, some are a bit bigger than others. Five, so there's, six, I think, six or seven pods, yeah. Right, yeah. okay. Um, and, and and how do you deter... I'm, I'm curious now in terms so, of client portfolios. Do they sort yeah. of, It's a client portfolio-driven pod? So we've, quite, we've, we've got a financial service pod, fin right. pod. <laughs> what, was this, what was that last fin one? Financial services, yeah. fin. Uh, fin, fin. They call themselves a fin pod. Thin pod. And we've got prop pod, which is a more property focused. Right. Uh, we have a um, we have a pod that deals with uh, smaller um, businesses, which are more FRS one hundred and five kind of businesses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Consultancies, uh, um, which just c- kind of manage that within uh, their uh, their pod. Um, we have um, a couple of pods that report into one or two partners, which really helps them. So different reasons for different pods, right. but hopefully all satisfying a, a need for, for each of them um, better than they were before. Mm. And how long have they been running? Probably about a year now. Right, okay. okay. And have you got any sense in terms of, um, I get the fact that the more focused, it's, yes. it, it's clear and obvious and more transparent in terms of what's going on. You've got better training showing. So what, issue, the, what issues are we having? The juniors. Well, I'm getting there, but I'm just yeah. interested whether the actual performance in terms of the output per person has yeah. improved, in any, whether, whether the hard numbers have improved because you've shifted from this you know, morass of 50 to a, a yeah. series of pods. So I think it's... It's quite difficult to say. I'm not sure we, and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a failing that we have uh, are able to wholly report on that. To be honest with you, right. um, I think it certainly helped whilst we were all at home last year um, and enabled the pods to work um, and focus on on what they were doing and what their challenges were whilst not being in the office. Yeah, um, that really really helped. Um, what we're trying to do is get away from, and I think this get away from the, the timesheet. Um, get away eventually it's the, this is like the holy grail yeah. um, so if each pod can understand what their costs are which we yeah. know yeah. and we know what their turnover is which we're trying yeah. to get to then yeah. we should understand if each pod is profitable or not and that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, that's, that's where we're trying to move to, to um, slowly but we, it is the uh, ultimate aim so at that point I can tell you whether, uh, um, whether they're, they're working as, uh, you know, truly it's like they're likely to work yeah. and that, that's where we can also bring in some more of these you know, comparisons and challenges and competition just to see who's, yeah, who's yeah. working uh, yeah. uh, most efficiently. What, one, one, one of the numbers that we look for when we're working with firms is um, uh, fees per full-time equivalent. Okay. And so if you look at that, um, you could look at the, the 50 people 18 months ago <coughs> and look yep. at, you know, Q2 figures. So you know what the, the, the cost of all your people are, so that's relatively easy. But you can yeah. also, if you can clearly identify the fees associated with the 50 and yeah. then you can then do it to the pods and it's it's actually a relatively simple way of just giving you an overview number it doesn't necessarily signpost the actions you need to take in order to improve the numbers but it gives you a yeah. starting point for that conversation yeah. um and also if you have got the pods it also um creates some interesting conflict conversations because yeah, some pods absolutely. are going to have a different fte but than the than others be, partly because of the nature of the work but it might yeah. be Part because we've got better pricing processes for the right. um, property uh, clients as we yeah, than we maybe, have for 
and so it really helps signposting uh, some of those things and it's a, a good overview um but this problem is not a solution have you come across um what's it called there's a there's a brilliant book called turn your ship around have you does that mean anything no. to you no, no? i uh, I'll send you if you if you read Jason. I'll, if, if you go, yes, I do read Paul. I will I send you a copy. All right. Uh, it's a wonder. It's a, it's only a little thin book, but it's yeah. about the um, worst performing submarine in the U.S. Navy. Right. And um, the, the, the book starts with this. Um, this guy gets promoted to captain, and so he got. He, so his, his senior officer goes, "Oh, you've been promoted to captain." He went, "Oh, great." And you've been giving the worst submarine, worst performing submarine in the U.S. Navy. So, <laughs> who wants that job then? Yeah. Um, but within six months, it becomes the best performing submarine in the U.S. Navy. Okay. Right. And it's like, wow, what's that all about? And um, uh, he, uh, he 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 breaks loads of rules. Right. So within the you know because it's command and control, isn't it? In the in the in the, in the forces. Yeah. He moves from command and control to a, a place of what he calls intent. So, so um, it's one thing to pursue solutions, but actually, what language pattern do you put in place? And he puts a language pattern in, even when they're under the most stressful situations, i.e., you know, there's war games going on and what have you. Um, yeah. People have, and he creates this I intend to habit. Yeah. And so this language habit shows up all over the ship at all levels. I intend to. And then, can you see the decision making of the, the, the manager is. Um, yeah, that's that's Bob on crack on, and if it's okay. not, then they can in, intervene. That's, that's a brilliant, um, brilliant insight. I'll send you a copy. It's really interesting reading its own right, but it's that I intend to. Actually, yeah. the language pattern facilitates that problems to solutions yeah. path. Um, you started this the, the podcast today talking about cultural differences between the firm you had a holiday in and, the, yeah. and, and coming back to the serious work. Um, yeah. It's that culture is uh, is made up by all those little habits that take place. One of the most important habits to manage is the language patterns, which has been... Which, thank you for today, Jason, because it's a long time since I've visit, visited the importance <laughs> of language patterns. Um, it's, it's just phrases that show up, you know, every day across the firm, you know, so yeah. if you can get your team to, I intend to. I've been to... Um Saracens had their little few problems last year. Of course. Um, I was always very taken in by their, exactly what you're saying, the, 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 the words and phrases they used um, in order to achieve their goals were very, very much on those, keeping, using the same phrases all the time. Very you know. deliberate. Very deliberate. It's, a, it's Brilliant. A, you know, you don't say you're going to be champions, but you use mm. these, you know, this, this, these systems, these words, and if we can add all these things together, the result will be... Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and it was always things like you know the, the things that people don't see. If you can do that work, then everything else will fall out. It was, yeah. Uh, but yeah, they've had. Um, I think they've deviated a little bit from all of that. But you know, it, yeah. But you know, they've um, they have had some challenges. But anyway, it'll be in, next yeah. season will be very interesting when very they're back in the Premiership, won't they? Yeah. And so I agree with all of that. It's, it's yeah. saying the right things, but you have to. It's not just saying them. You have to. You have to do them yourself. Um, then you have to. You have to so live what you're saying. So oh, you're just saying now, now you're talking about leading by example, isn't it? Yeah. So, which is uh, very much part yeah. of... It sounds like it's part of your culture for sure, yes. But, um, yes, pods, what issues have you had in and around shifting from one style of working and organising to the new one? What, where, where have the challenges been? Yeah, so I think um, the main challenges have been resourcing, I think. Um, people were more used to sharing, um, and I think people have got into a kind of... Now have got into kind of like a silo frame of mind where this is mine 
Um, right. And even if they're working on something that isn't as urgent as another pod is working on, this is this is my resource. So we're breaking down that that um, more recently when workers um, when we've been much busier. Uh, that's become much more apparent, and so. Um, so, is is this a case? So, you've got one pod that's really busy and one pod that isn't, and so we've got to take some work from there and put it over there, so we can get, keep the turnaround time. Yeah, and we used to have you know resource meetings across the whole team because it was all one team, but now the resource meetings are in in silos. Um, right. So we've had to bring all that back together um, and just remind right. ourselves that we are ultimately one team, right, um, and not just a, a series of little teams. Yes, um, and these aren't mine. Yes, these are ours. I just. Yes. Yeah. These are BKL's clients; they're not yeah. the Pod's clients. Um, yeah. So, how, how have the te- what have you done in order to facilitate that? What, what, what actual actions have you taken to ensure that they start to see themselves again as one team, even though they are working in Pods? Yeah, um, uh, well, constant reminders. I think more recently, um, it got quite pressurised in the last few weeks for a couple of teams, in Pods in particular, mm. um, and it's it's in our weekly sort of managers catch ups. Uh, and meetings and returning much more to the resourcing side of things where we were trying to deal over the last couple of sort of months more with the strategy of, of the team but then going back to the fundamentals of our resourcing which is the core to how we have to get things done and we just have to remind ourselves sometimes yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah. That. yeah but again because i was in this workshop yesterday with these 21 accountants it was interesting to hear how vital that almost over communication is it's not just yeah. communicate a message it's over communicate it almost yeah. till you're hoarse yeah. and you just keep whether it be on values whether it be on pods and we're a bigger team it's you know one of the core messages it's interesting it sounds like what saracens are doing is they over communicate you know a few language pieces that yeah. uh, underpin the culture of the, uh, the the team yeah yeah and you, you know we hope we listen we don't want to Sound like um, someone being interviewed at the end of a sports match, and they just reel off the you know the standard phrases. But yeah, we, we are trying to filter them down as much as we can. Yeah, yeah, um, brilliant. But on the whole, I think they've been a real success, and I think the um, it has empowered a couple of um, um, managers within the, within the group, um, and they feel you know have much more responsibility now to look after their team than they ever felt before. Mm. Um, and I, I think it's it's been a been a success so far. Uh, obviously, we'll still have its challenges. And I'll speak to one of my um, colleagues who's uh, been an accountant since 1989, and he'll tell me he's been there, seen it, done it, and he's seen all this done. And it's then it's changed back to that. And it's just, so he's convinced we'll move to something else in five years' time. But at the moment, right. we're on the right path. Yeah, yeah, very good. And so that so that pod piece is that is that you t- do you take credit for that initiative or did it come from elsewhere in the firm where does where, where was the source of the shift i think it's um, discussions between myself and our um, managing partner lee brook right um, just constantly talking about how things we can do things better right um i think between us and the executive we came up with this uh, this way of Brilliant. dealing with things Brilliant. and did you did you go right we're going from 50 to this whole big set of pods or did you just try one pod to prototype the system how did how did you actually kick start it no so we um we, we, we had a, quite a big lead into it um to try and work out who would go where but um there was a um <coughs> a tipping point where we said everybody's now working within pods um, it did take time for that and the work to all start to filter into the right place and we still haven't moved all of the um bookkeeping and vat work into those pods um exactly but that that'll take a bit more time right um, but yeah, it was a, it was a kick off. This is your team. This is your responsibility. You can now have full use of these people. Um, mm. 
So no, we didn't we didn't do one pod at a time for this. Oh, right. Other projects we're working on at the moment are we are using pods to um, so with carbon, for instance, we're yeah. using one pod to, um, to really work and prototype it brilliant. for a month before we lead into everything else. Yeah, brilliant. And you know what, the firm we were with yesterday, the high growth firm I was talking about earlier. Um, they uh, they've done the same, and they use they use a pod to prototype test something before yeah. rolling it out. So there's another another advantage to that. Um, so to we, that we, we, we've had over the last. I don't know when Duncan started. Our um, IT director, I can't remember what he calls himself, CIO, whatever he calls him, <laughs> IT director. Uh, but he, we've we've had so many projects in the past that we've started IT projects that haven't worked as successfully as we'd like we would have liked. Um, but he's brought a, complete, a completely um, revolutionary uh, approach to these things. And for him, it's just what you do, because this is how you implement big tech projects. Mm. But it's making sure it's ready to go when it's ready to go. And, um, mm. you, you know, um, and, and with much more confidence when we roll things out now that things are going to work rather than uh, in the past where things maybe have worked 70%, people get really annoyed and then you roll it back a bit and then maybe it doesn't work. So, um, yeah, uh, he's been a huge help with this. So what, what do you think is the key elements, one, two or three elements that ensure that it works the way your uh, IT directors... You're trying to find out what are the problems before you start. So um, with Teams, for instance, which we brought in just before lockdown, it was mm. finally um, released to the whole business just before lockdown, um, which wasn't by design. It was completely by luck, but it yeah. um, consequently made our lives much easier. Yeah. Um, but there was so much work done on you know rolling it out slowly to make sure that we pick up the glitches and understand what we're using it for this is its purpose is for this not what you think it is mm. this is what we're going to use it for and this is how we're going to test it so by the time it was rolled out it was a yeah it was a, an undoubted success straight away um, so there's that clarity of purpose why we're we using it what we're using it for and yeah. then time and effort in to anticipate the challenges and difficulties and problems yeah, absolutely. And then a slow rollout. Are they, are they, have I encapsulated the three things well enough? Yeah, I think that's that absolutely the case. Um, with Teams, Brilliant. for sure, that's how it worked, and it's been a very, yeah. very big success. Yeah, fab, fab. So um, we're recording this halfway through 21. Uh, Jason, if there's one key opportunity or key challenge you're looking at over the next six months to take us to the end of uh, 21, what, what, what is it for you and your team? It is going to be um, office or not office, I think. Right. I think, uh, um, and I think it's completely... That sounds a bit air. black and white, that, Jason. <coughs> it's, well, it's clearly not, is it? I mean, that's yeah, the point. So um, yeah. we're just not sure. We've got these lovely new offices. We also started a refurb completely not planned in February, just before lockdown started. Yeah. Um, so the benefit of that was that we managed to refurb the whole office really quickly. Um, but the, the the downside is that we've have these lovely new offices, um, but only with a third of the people in them at a time, which is a real shame. Right. Um, so the challenge is um, understanding how we can work differently now. Um, we've we've had a whole year of working at home. We understand the challenges of working at home. We understand the challenges of training people. We understand the challenges of bringing people through. Mm. Can we do it better remotely, uh, or do we actually need people in the office in order to train them and make them better? people for us mm. um, the traditional view is that we need people in the office um, and that's the way that all of promotion and uh, all training has always happened yeah um, I'm sure that will change at the moment we're not sure quite sure the tools are there to enable that to be done any other way yeah um, who can work remotely um, who's in whose power should it be that um, remote working is undertaken 
Mm-hmm. Um, is it still ours? Is it still? I mean, you speak. You see some press releases coming out saying you never have to come into the office again. Um, you see some organisations saying well, we want you back in the office or we're going to pay you less. Yeah. Um, I think it's really tough to see which way it's going to fall. Mm. Um, I think that's going to be our um, our challenge is making sure that people are working the way they want to work, but also we need to be we need to be getting the best out of people at the same time as well. Yeah. And it's that it's that what's in the best interest of the individual, what's in the best interest of the clients, yeah, and what's in the best interest overall around the firm as well. And yeah. it's, a, it's just a hard juggle, that isn't it? It's, it's a really tough juggle. Um, yeah. I think we've, we've you know we've realised some people can work absolutely brilliantly from remotely. It makes mm. absolutely, it makes not a shot of difference. Yeah. Um, but if you want to, the challenge is for people who want to progress and who want to move on and yeah. who want to learn. And yeah. um, you not only need people to learn from mm. in uh, to be in contact with you, but you, you know you need to be well. Traditionally, you need to be in front of them in order to pick up those pearls of wisdom. Absolutely. I, I, I was um, with a firm earlier on this week, and they've got five. This team's got five juniors in it, and uh, uh, two of them have um, been mostly in the office most of the time during the last um, twelve months or so. Um, the other three have been mostly at home, and what, what's crystal clear is the two that have been in the office. Their skill, knowledge and skills have, 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 have essentially surpassed, significantly surpassed, yeah. the ones that have been uh, working remotely. Even though you know the nature of the work's the, the, the same, it's just the interaction with because um, uh, yes. one of the partners has, has mostly been in the office as well, just because of their, you, you know, know being pulled into a meeting, come in, just listen to this, or yeah, just the, yeah. The, the, those um, uh, those interactions that aren't organised. Yeah, that spur of the moment stuff, which uh, is is hugely valuable. Which is that? Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's the. Um, it's another word for spur of the moment, uh, Jason. It, it, spontaneous. That's it. Spontaneous. Uh, but you know, I, I was um, um, I was in in a conversation with uh, I, when my four children were all under ten, and um, Kate and I were going. My wife Kate and I were. It was like well, we don't get any time for ourselves. Just. You know, you and me, because we're, you know, rugby, swimming, band, you know, it's all, all of that's going on. It's just, there's just no time. So, right, we're going to have to have um, a, a weekend away, just you and I, and spontane- spontaneously. That's right, yeah. and, and it's like, how are you going to do that with four kids? That's just, <laughs> that's never going to happen. That's and I was in, in a conversation like this with someone. He says, well, if you want to do something spontaneously, just plan it in. And <laughs> 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 how do you do that? And he said, look, just don't tell Kate plan it in and organise where the kids are going and who's doing what so she's no idea and, and you'll end up being like the ultimate hero and um, I did it a couple of times I can't it was just you know I had the brownie points <laughs> earned from that process it was brilliant, brilliant. Um, but you see is that how do we um, plan in the spontaneity yeah. in, the, in the world we now live in it's a, I think it's a really really healthy question um, yeah. and, and I think it comes back to your piece earlier Jason about you know, what do we do with the CRI, CRM in order to ensure that we planning the client re- relevant valuable client contact yeah. and if you if you are if you create that pathway which we talked about earlier as well then what happens is you can coordinate people's diaries so it, it's no longer spontaneous but it does happen and it's that yeah. um it's starting from the client's pathway working backwards can potentially facilitate that i guess so it's interesting you know we talk sometimes we talk about these things and some of the senior partners will be will say well that's things we do. We are things I do. I do anyway, um, which is great. And, mm-hmm. and that's why you're a senior partner. Frankly, it's because you know you have the ability to organise yourself in order to make these client contacts. Um, yeah. But um, 
we need to encourage yes and most people don't but we want to make make sure that they are so yes. you can't you can't just rely on the fact that you did it anyway to make sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but that's that, you know, that's the difference isn't it between having a people dependent business model yeah. and a process dependent business model with the client focus and the cultural wins that you want for for within bkl and actually yeah. We've got no choice if the, if this trend is from partner led to team led. Yeah. It, it's got to be process driven, and which is why the technology is vital. But also those trigger points and the habits that revolve around those are also. We vital. talk about freeing up the freeing up the senior people's time in order to do the things they want to do. Well, here, here you go. This is the way we should do this. Absolutely, great sales pitch, Jason. Great <laughs> <Yeah>. sales pitch. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. Yeah. It's true. So last last question of of everything we've covered on this discussion. I'm just wondering what what's um, What's made you think the most or what do you think has been of most value that might trigger you to do something um, different or better within BKL? The thing that stuck with me is actually one of the things we said at the beginning and the thing we've just picked up on, which is this firm who have enabled or managed to push down the work to the, to the, to the people who you feel like should be doing it, which has then enabled this business to um, undertake the growth that it, growth that it has wanted. Right. Um, and in order to do that, you have to... We, we we had it in a previous strategy document, um, the right work, the right work by the right people, yeah. um, in the right place, and I think that's that's you know the focus. Um, if you can push that down using the right technology and the right methods, you free yeah. people up to do what they're good at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and and, and again, just to revert back to that uh, the, the the discussion yesterday with this high growth firm, it, we, the, the only conclusion we could uh, reach in the, the two hour discussion we had with with, with them was um, capacity first, growth second. Okay. So if you want to cascade work to a, you know, a, a, a less senior team member, but they're already busy, yeah. um, and before we cascade anything to them, we've got to work out and help them cascade something away before we give yeah. them this high-value work, which then frees you up. Yeah. Um, but clearly this fast-growth firm has been brilliant at doing that yeah. on the grounds that it's um, with their pod system. Uh, they've used that as one of the mechanisms for, for uh, increasing capacity and therefore increasing growth. And by the way, and it sounds as though you're there too, is create this career progression because there's yeah. the pods and then there's, with, and there's progression within the pod and then there's progression beyond the pod. And, yeah. and so uh, they've got around all the people they really care about, which in this firm seems to be most of them, this pathway laid out for them, for their careers. Yeah. And, and only very rarely does someone uh, move, move on. And when they do, they typically move out of the profession. So... Jason, it's been a brilliant conversation. Really appreciate you taking time out and, uh, and sharing some insights into what you've been doing, what the firm's been doing and, and, and how it's been working with you. Thank you very, very much. Oh, thank you very much. You'll find more valuable discussions with the leaders of ambitious accounting firms at humanisethenumbers.online. You can also sign up to be notified each time a new podcast is made available. This podcast series, Humanise the Numbers, has been made possible thanks to the support of our sponsors, My Work Papers, Advanced Track, Satago and VFD Pro. Visit humanisethenumbers.online, click the logo of each sponsor and you'll hear what our podcast interviewees have to say about the sponsor's services.